Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM coach, and welcome. It is episode number 65, and I've missed the last two weeks, the usual upload on Fridays, mainly because um, I've had a funeral to attend, and that required some travel and some work backlog. And I'll be honest with you, in times of being overloaded and... Um, having a variety of travel and other things that come up, like writing a eulogy and things like that. Um, I focus on my athletes and making sure they're all squared away first and their questions and their needs and their race plans and so forth. And then the podcast usually comes um, after. And the other harder thing about the podcast is I don't have a weekly script. I don't have a weekly plan for it. I don't have an idea of what I'm going to talk about too too much this week or in the weeks ahead. I, I do jot down some bullet points and some notes over time, but mainly I talk about on the podcast about things I observe in everybody's training and in their racing and in their training logs and workout logs and so forth. And in the emails I receive with questions and mainly from my athletes so that everybody listening as my athletes has an opportunity to grow and understand and have better workouts and better results and better understanding and therefore better outcomes for themselves. And as many of you already know, the Weekly Word podcast is about that. It's about sharing everything that I see and learn with regards to coaching all of you And many of you listening might not be coached by me, but just in general, the insights that come across my inbox every day, those are the things that I know many of you are wondering about, also struggling with, and trying to balance, I would say. And so um, in these cases, because of the um, my, my, not energy, but because of the work I was doing the last two weeks, having that sort of creative output with regards to just talking and responding and going into detail of what I'm seeing was just not there and it was just not flowing. So um, that being said, I apologize that I missed the last two weeks. I know many of you um, look for it on a Friday and um I'm always blown away how many people actually comment or miss it and are surprised. I'm I'm surprised on the the feedback I've gotten just in the last two weeks alone, where it's like, hey, is everything okay? Haven't haven't heard a podcast in a few weeks. So thank you as always. Thank you as always for um, sending some thoughts or also some input and feedback and also checking in that um, what's going on. So As always, it's great to have you listen, and I hope I bring you some good topics this week, as usual, on the Weekly Word podcast. All right, so what are we going to talk about this week? Well, one of the big things we're going into this week is race plans, how I go about them, um, what I look for, um, the exchange with the athlete, and what our outcome is, and how that race plan progresses over time. from a simple race plan to a more detailed race plan and um, all the things that you could be doing in order to really have an effective race plan that you write for yourself and whether it's you as an athlete of mine and then I review it and we sort of go back and forth a little bit and dive into it and make it a really good document 
or it's for your own purposes so that you review it every couple of days as you lead into your races for this season or next season or whatever that is and you can start crystallizing more of truly what it is you want to have happen on race day and it helps with envisioning your day as well it helps with sort of closing your eyes and seeing how you want it to unfold unfold having written it out is all part of that process and so race plans i talk a little bit about training metrics what i look for and what i don't look for i talk a little bit about some of the cool adventures with regards to the athletes in the last few weeks that um, i've seen them take on and then i also talk here um, right away about you know what it means to take on an ultra endurance adventure i got an email from one of my athletes um, telling me or, or sharing with me about how wow this is a lot more than i had um, imagined it would be and it ties into what we all envision an ultra endurance adventure to be but we also also often have just the outcome in mind and in order to really feel and take part in that adventure so that you are enjoying it and you're not suffering through it, it requires a lot of work and it requires a lot of training and consistency and balancing a lot of things. And the training that I put forth that I think you will need so that you have a healthy platform, it's that's what many don't see when they hit the enter button or they come up with a plan or an idea for their next ultra endurance adventure. And I think it's helpful not only to hear what this person experiences, but also for all of you to keep in mind that when you're signing up for an event, um, hopefully you're on it for the journey and all the um, meaning that journey creates as you grow as an athlete, as a person, in your consistency, in your habits, in your health, in your daily outlook, in your balancing priorities, all that. That's part of signing up for many of these ultra endurance adventures and endeavors, whether that's an Ironman, whether that's a 50K, whether that's a 100 miler. It's a big commitment. And hopefully part of that commitment that you're signing up to is to find a little time for you every day in order for you to focus on yourself, your health, your mind, exhaling a little bit, freeing that mind up and not thinking about anything, allowing the stress of the day to sort of release itself, have some sort of exhale moments in your day while you're training before you go back to the reality of it all. And the interesting thing here is it ties into a quote that I uh, read the other day. Um, and here it is. In order to get at the crux of the problem, it's crucial to understand that as humans, we want to feel motivated and to find meaning in the things that we do. It's part of our biology. In fact, there's a part of our brains called the seeking system that creates the natural impulses to learn new skills and take on challenging but meaningful tasks. I'll call that adventures. When we follow these urges, we receive a jolt of dopamine, a neurotransmitter linked to motivation and pleasure, which makes us want to engage in these activities even more. When our seeking systems are activated, we feel more motivated, purposeful, and zestful. We feel more alive. So basically, that talks exactly about why in so many cases I feel 
so many of us are signing up and wanting to dive into these ultra endurance adventures. They are a little bit on the edge of something crazy, right? Um, It's challenging, but meaningful. The journey will be challenging, but meaningful. And all those little steps you take, all those training weeks and weekends and so forth, we receive that jolt of dopamine. And it's linked to motivation and pleasure. And that's why we have this internal struggle with regards to I want to train, I want to feel alive, I want to feel that good daily stimulus of the training. But we also have other busy things in our lives and we can't spend all day training like that. So that's that internal struggle that we work through, which makes us want to engage in these activities even more, as the quote says. And when our seeking systems are activated, we feel more motivated, purposeful, and zestful. I would say those three words, motivated, purposeful, and zestful, is so often the commentary I get from people when they train for ultra endurance endeavors. And especially when they stop, they look back and they say those three things. Those were what they were feeling like. We feel more alive. And keep in mind, when we shut that sensation down, whether it's when we stop, or we no longer seek that adventure, it's our body's way of telling us that we were meant to do better things, to keep exploring and keep learning. It's in our biology. And it is part of our adaptive unconscious to know that our human potential is being wasted when we shut that thing down again, when we don't allow that adventurous part of ourselves, that exploring and learning part of ourselves to shine, and not necessarily shine that it takes over our life, but to express itself and to be part of our daily lives. Yeah, so that's this week on the Weekly Word podcast. I read a good email today as a commentary back to some of my training check-ins with this athlete regards to how they're doing or more specifically what they're doing and how come I haven't heard from them in a while and so forth. And as you all know, this is nothing new in the coaching world to look to get more responses and input and feedback and insights from the athletes. Um, It's very different in the coaching world once you're coaching master's athletes. And as you all know, um, and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, is You all have different activities, different responsibilities, different life stresses. So it's also um, not just a question of a time commitment to check in a little bit every day. And we've talked about best practices and so forth here. But the challenge is more that it's hard for the athlete to understand um, what it's like coaching a master's athlete. You are doing this by choice. You are doing this by curiosity and by wanting to learn more about yourself, but not really being familiar with the process of what it takes in the ultra endurance world. You all have jobs, you all have families, kids, so many different commitments. So finding the time to also spend filling out a log or giving me an update is, of course, lower on the priority list. It's different coaching high school athletes, kids, um, professional athletes, college athletes, and so forth, because they are there. You are usually on site with them 
and you're working with them specifically. So you get that feedback, you get that banter, you get that, you can, excuse me, you can observe um, how they're doing, you're seeing their splits, you're observing their fatigue and so forth. And so a lot of this with masters athletes is a completely different approach and unique approach that most triathlon coaches, running coaches, and in my case, ultra endurance coaches have a totally different responsibility and it's a totally different um, uh, philosophy, approach, um, and way to go about the coaching. It's not your traditional coaching that most people are familiar with and most people know from their childhood or observe on TV or read about and so forth. So anyway, I got this email today um, and it goes something like this, enjoying the training and the experience, just working to get in as much as I can with schedule and family. I've surely underestimated the amount of time required to complete 100% of your training program. But nonetheless, it's been a fun adventure, enjoying it for what it is. Yes, that is the biggest challenge for many, many, many athletes that for the first time are truly stepping into coaching for an ultra endurance event. And I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but diving into it a little bit deeper here is ultra endurance training is a completely different animal. And we are on the edge here of a sport that is growing very, very big. The ultra endurance world, whether it's from running to just adventures and expeditions and experiences, is growing very quickly. And many see the pictures, read the um, sensations and updates from athletes that do these epic, crazy adventures, but they also don't see the training involved, the consistency involved, the years of doing this steadily, what is all involved with that, the nutrition, the gear required, and so forth, the cross-training and the hours. What they see is the Instagram and social media updates of these beautiful locations and these epic adventures. They see the documentaries of the Barkley or other type of 100-mile runs or um, Badwater or adventures around the world um, from Marathon to Sobbles to all these epic, epic, epic outdoor ultra-endurance adventures. And when you look at it, it's also that way in the Ironman world, right? It looks amazing and it sounds inspiring when Mike Riley yells your name as you're crossing the finish line, you are an Ironman. And while you can get that loop played back on your phone to yourself every morning as a wake up um, for your alarm, it's not about hearing that voice and crossing a designated finish line. It was the journey. It was the sacrifice. It was the tears. It was the fatigue. It was the um, training hours that you put into it, the difficulties you overcame to get to that finish line that makes that sentence, makes those words, makes those pictures, makes that trophy, makes that medal, makes that Whatever it is you get or um, which commemorates you completing your event, so special. 
it is so much more to it. There's so much more than just the tip of that iceberg. Most of it is below water. Most of it is the work you've done. Most of it is the time you sacrificed. Most of it are those really difficult days when the body is achy, broken down, exhausted, doesn't want to. That's ultra endurance and that's so hard for many people to understand when they sign up. But that's the beauty of what you're involved with and why it's so unique. More and more research and data and discussion and commentary in our society is going around how complacent, how bored we are with regards to our cognitive abilities, how we're being less challenged physically, mentally, beyond our average daily complacent lifestyles, right? We have self-driving cars. We go to an office and we sit all day in front of a computer that does most of the processing and work for us. Our creative abilities, our ability to be in nature and connect and be completely vibrant and alive outside are so limited, right? We're in public transportation. We're However we get around, it is difficult to connect with ourselves and our true spirit that's within all of us. And so more and more ultra-endurance adventures allow for that. And the reason I bring it up is because the training, the daily training and prep for the longer weekends, let's say, gradually but significantly Uh, connect us with that spirituality, with that being, with that um, curiosity, with that growth. And when we go long on the weekends, when we train long, we start opening those doors, as I've talked about, into parts of ourselves and reconnecting with the true nature of who we are as human beings, which is a part of nature. And our entire DNA and our whole mind and spirit and body is built upon being outdoors and connected and aware and creative and thoughtful and all those things. And so that's what we're tapping into every single time we sign up, hit enter for an adventure. We are yearning subconsciously. Our body is, I think, in my opinion, screaming to take part in those adventures. That's why those pictures, those magazine articles, those books, and so forth, wherever you come across them, strike such a deep nerve. And that's why many of you are even listening to this, because you know there's more to it than just one foot in front of the other, then pedaling your bicycle, then swimming in a pool, then rappelling or climbing or all the things that we do. It's about something deeper. And so that's part of what this email and why I bring it up is I underestimated the amount of time required to complete 100% of your training program. That's not the point. It's that you're getting a taste, a flavor, an insight, a feel for what it is that your best self is calling for. We all work a lot and we all have a lot of responsibilities. And I heard a great podcast the other day um, with Debbie Millman, and uh, I think it was on the Tim Ferriss podcast. Um, I like listening to him because it's a variety of different topics and so forth. But 
she said, there is no such thing as busy. That means we're not choosing the right priorities. And I'm not, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But she said, there's no such thing as busy. Busy means we're unorganized. Busy means we're putting things into our schedule that are not things that are of highest priority to us and that are of meaning to us. And we're therefore filling our time instead with things that aren't important, that aren't meaningful. And if we fill our time with those things that are important to us, then it's not busy then it's what we choose to do. And therefore, we wouldn't use the term busy with others. We'd, we'd know that the things we're doing now, we choose to do over what somebody else is asking us to do or wanting us to join them with. And this is more in an interpersonal standpoint. When somebody says to you they are busy, they don't have time for you, then if you really evaluate what they're doing in, with their time and it, if that's their priorities and you see some of the things they might be doing, whether it's sitting around watching TV or doing much of nothing, well, then you know that's their busy. That's their priorities. And so, again, back to what we are filling our time with. Find that time. And even if it's not 100% of the training program, but explore what it is that's a priority to you. And if health and fitness and exploring that subconscious self that is yearning to be outside and active and alive and connected with spirit, soul, and um, your physiology and all those benefits that come with that, that's what you should be exploring and why this all comes up because it is really for all of you as you know when you're feeling you're most alive you're most connected you're most healthy it's when you're on a really exciting journey towards um, an event and you feel fit you feel connected you feel alive you feel a brush of huge brush of confidence that i can do this but then you also realize in that long training session, I love this. I absolutely love this. How wonderful was this today? How wonderful is this as I'm training it? It's not hard. It's challenging, but it's not hard because I love it. And that's living the ultra endurance lifestyle in that respect. And that's connecting with that deeper self, which not necessarily from a big spiritual aspect, but I believe from a deeper self with regards to what we're yearning for in our day to day when we're stuck in a lot of complacency, automation, and lack of connecting with nature. So this week, pretty much marks the beginning of the triathlon season here in North America. We have a variety of half Ironmans happening, 70.3s that is, and one of them being Oceanside, another one being Galveston, then Ironman, um, half Ironman Florida's happening. So a variety of races that are coming up this weekend and a variety of my athletes that are racing. So the question has come up, what do I look for or how do I go about putting together a race plan for the athlete? Well, of course, you can imagine many of the athletes I speak to individually in prep for their race plan. Um, but in general, there is a 
um, a common sort of skeleton of a race plan that I send out prior. And then we dive into details and individual numbers or strategies or strengths to sh display on the course and so forth as we lead into the race. Now, my more experienced athletes know that this is coming. So instead, I have them send me their race plan and then I can review it and we go about over it together because they know instead of doing the first step of a skeleton, they know what that skeleton of a race plan already is. And so they already send me their vision, what they've imagined race pace to be, how they see it unfolding the day, given the conditions, given the terrain, given the time of year, given the goal races, given what their training has been, given so many details that put together the recipe for a good race, um, then we discuss that based off of those inputs. But to take that all back a step, when I look at an, uh, a race ahead of me, I first look at things like the weather. I look at the terrain. I look at historical data with regards to the race of how hard it is, um, with regards to terrain or headwinds or bizarre conditions. We're in California here. So for a lot of us on the West Coast, you have morning fog that will give way to warmer temperatures. That often means you're freezing out of the water. Water conditions are a, can be choppy, can be cold, can be windy. Um, and then oftentimes you're quite warm come the run three, four, five hours later. So a lot of things happen differently in the race. So first of all, I talk about dinner the night before and bedtime and what we want to do with regards to dinner, how we want to eat, how we want to time it. And then I also dive into bedtime with regards to knowing that we're nervous with sleep knowing that this is what we've been preparing for. But because we've been sleeping well the nights leading up to the event, and we're also somewhat rested, even if it's a training race. I'm a big believer that if it's a training race, we still want to come in rested because if we're going to train through the race, I need you recovering quicker from the race in order to jump back into the training quicker. And so therefore, if you're tired coming into said race, it will take you longer to recover from a race effort. And therefore, it will impact our training time um, that we want to have after the race. So therefore, most everybody does get a few easy days leading into even if it's completely a training race. You have to be a very skilled, experienced athlete with me in order to basically truly train through it. And there's also different scenarios. There's times I'm playing with the athlete's motivation. I'm playing with the athlete's psyche by scheduling different training and workloads prior to show them what they're capable of despite being tired. So there's, there's all kinds of different individual outcomes for race plans and race execution. Um, sometimes we throw caution to the wind in a race because it's a training race with regards to a certain leg of a triathlon. Let's say we're going to go all out on the swim or bike harder than ever before or go really easy on a leg and do something else faster. 
again, to build experience, to build confidence, to have that aha moment, to have a better, a better understanding of how easy I need to go in order to have a great half marathon or how hard I can bike and still have a great half marathon, things like that. So um, coming into the race, the amount of sleep and so forth. And then I talk a little bit about the race morning, about when we want to wake up, when we want to time our breakfast, how much breakfast should be, what we should, what some guidelines are and suggested inputs are for breakfast, and then what we want to do to set up our transition area in order to prep for the swim, um, timing with regards to wetsuit. I talk a lot on wetsuits with regards to how they should fit. Um, how somebody needs to help you put them on in order for them to fit properly and the way they're designed from the industry. Um, things like that. That's all part of the skeleton of a race plan because they're all that it's called a skeleton because I pretty much can apply that to any athlete, no matter what level you're racing at, whether in the front or the back, a lot of principles hold true um, in the skeleton. I talk about um, the course and how it's designed with regards to loops and strategy. Like, for example, if it's a four-loop run course or a three-loop run course or a two-loop run course or a single run course, those are all different strategies because it's different ways to measure your output, different ways to measure your pace and your progress and your build or your decrease in pain, pace and so forth. I talk about hills and how we want to break up the course, how we want to attack the course in certain parts or not attack it um, based off of different strengths of athletes, climbers or better athletes in the arrow position. We go about those courses differently, right? If you're a climber, of course, we want to take advantage of some of the long climbs in order to feel good about our progress and our fitness and so forth. If you're a good aero position rider, you come from more of the flat lands, well, how do we wanna go about racing this course to still get the maximum time gains out of it based off of the 56 miles that we have available to us? Um, some races this weekend are pancake flat, pretty flat, like Galveston will be pretty flat, but notorious with a tailwind and a headwind situation. So can play really bizarre tricks on our mind with regards to feeling great on the way out. Then we turn around and realize we were expecting a tailwind, but not that much of a tailwind. And next thing you know, you're going six miles an hour at your best effort watts into a headwind. It's happened before. Um, and that on a side note is just a reminder why so often I tell so many athletes never ever to pay attention to average speed because it means nothing, right? There's been years in Kona where the leaders are going 11 miles an hour for three hours into a headwind and they're putting forth some crazy wattages. Um, but that's just the conditions that day. Do you get demoralized with 11 miles an hour if you've been training 23, 28, 30, 19, whatever the arbitrary number is? Of course you do. But if you're looking down and you're holding 330 watts and you're spinning at a pretty steady 87 cadence and you know you can hold this for three, four, five, six hours, it is what it is. It's more a question of 
Am I efficiently holding the watts that I'm capable of? Am I in my heart rate zone? Am I using my efficiency, my pedal stroke, my gearing, all that to my advantage? And especially with race plan execution, you also want to think about, well, am I preparing myself when the conditions change? Am I preparing myself when I do then have a tailwind on the back end of the course? Am I preparing myself for what the headwind will be like? And how do I want to ride into the headwind? What kind of wattages, heart rates will I be expecting? And what is my strategy for that piece? How am I preparing for a headwind tailwind by eating and drinking? Am I going to sit up and drink and eat in a headwind? No, of course not. But if I know this is only an eight or 10 minute headwind section, well, maybe I'll stay in the arrow position until I turn and I'm either not in a headwind or I'm in a tailwind section. Guess what I can do then? I can sit up, go to an easier gear, and ride at 23 miles an hour at a lower wattage while I'm sitting up eating and drinking, which then is also a benefit because I can process my fuels and hydration better by sitting up. And I don't need to be aero because now the wind is pushing me. So same thing with hills and climbs. Do I want to sit up and slow myself down um, or sit up and do the... Um, the work and climbing while I'm eating and drinking, or do I want to do some eating and drinking on a long downhill? That's not technical. Maybe. If it's a technical downhill with a lot of turns, maybe I want to eat and drink on the uphill when I'm sitting up and taking it easy because I want to have the power and speed and the arrow position available for when I'm descending in a more technical way and not giving up speed then and can focus on that then versus messing with a water bottle or a gel or a bar at this point. So there's a lot going on in every race plan, but those are all the things I want to be thinking of prior, right? When you put that stuff together for 56 miles and 13 miles and 1.2 miles, let's say for a triathlon, you are saving minutes, many, many minutes. And we're talking, you know, a minute here or there on the swim. We're talking five, six, seven minutes on the bike can easily be found by strategically doing things like this, as well as five, six, seven minutes can be done by strategically doing things on the run. I just listed off 15 minutes that can be done by strategically doing things smarter in a five-hour race. And if you think about it, that's a good percentage of the total time. If you think you're doing a, a six-hour day, let's say you think you're doing a six-hour day right? And 15 minutes of that 360 minutes, that's a good 5% almost that you could be improving, not even by fitness, but just by smarter execution of certain um, strategies and so forth. So yeah, then we talk about water conditions, about currents, about when in the waves you're going, if there is waves, how to line up, how to sight, how to use the sun with the sunrises in most cases at 7 a.m. starts and 8 a.m. starts being right in our face or where we're breathing and what to expect. 
how to deal with water temperatures, whether you're in Texas, whether you're in Florida, or whether you're in Oceanside, California, we're talking temperatures from 52 water to 65 water to 72 water, all different conditions, all different scenarios that we want to keep in mind. Um, and so all that is part of race strategy and that we go and that we put into the high level skeleton because a lot of these details where the sun is and so forth all tie in to the race plan for everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. The sun does not change in 12 minutes on how a person is going to be seeing it depending on what wave they're in. And then we're on the, well, we talk about transitions and how we want to work our way through them, what kind of mindset we want to have, how we want to prepare for them, as well as move through them, as well as eat and drink and when and not in transitions and how to avoid doing that. We want to talk about breaking up the bike leg in sections and when we want to start working and when we don't want to be working, when we want to avoid high traffic areas and risk for accidents or crashing or slowing down or just things happening that could take us out of our day as well as just distract us and demoralize us or take us out of execution time. We talk about, you know, besides I've already said with the hills and the winds and the conditions, we talk about how we want to break up the race with regards to heart rate, with regards to feel, what we want to be observing, when we want to eat, how much we want to eat, how much we want to drink and so forth. And then on the run, exactly the same with regards to transition, with regards to strategy, with regards to pacing, with regards to what to expect from one loop to another or that out and back or how we want to be feeling and how we want to be passing people late versus being passed. And we want to build on that moment, momentum, things like that. That's how a triathlon race strategy sort of comes together. And so that's the big picture of how it happens. And then we dive into the individual athlete with regards to what I said earlier, injuries and how the fall and the winter went with regards to training, with regards to strategy and past execution, what we want to work on this time. Um, we dive into potentially old race plans. If this is an A race, I definitely want my athletes reviewing their past A races and pick up on some pointers that they, in their post-race deep dive on what how the day went, saw and even noticed themselves that they could have done better. Well, shame on us, athlete and I, if we don't improve upon that this time around. So, and then we dive into heart rates and wattages specifically to them, as well as with regards to desired outcome for today. What's the desired outcome? What are we training for? How, what would define today as a success, right? If I have an Ironman in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, defining today, the 70.3 today, what defines that as a success, right? How's my training leading into it? Um, and therefore, what defines success? So we want to have a real clear demarcation line there too because we want to understand to not just get caught up in the emotions of the race and the age group and the percentage and the age group and the podium and all that noise if we just finished our biggest training block of the year, like meaning the last 12 months leading into this. Um, 
things like that where we create a difference between our expectations and the reality of where we are in our triathlon training excuse me so similarly we do the same thing with regards to 50ks and 50 milers and 100 milers and five-day stage races and so forth we want to have specific outcomes for each day for each event for each section and so forth it's the same thing as we do in training with desired outcomes and sort of not checklists but an understanding of where we want to be and that brings me also to the checklist that I like my athletes to have in prep for races, knowing that they're not going to forget anything, knowing that when things get busy on race morning or when they depart from home to go to the race, that they can just look down a checklist that they have, that they've made, that's grown over the years or months or weeks in prep, and they can just go forth and execute it. Take the um, risk of things going wrong or getting forgotten out of it. Race morning, have a checklist. You know, you're already going to be nervous. You're already going to have a lot of things to think of because, you know, it's race morning, right? And you got to get down there and you got to do this and you got to do that. And you got to rack your bike and all those different things that you're doing for the three sports that day, right? So have as much of it written down and prepped and laid out as possible. When I race, a lot of people that have been around me over the years when I race, they know that I it just it's a very simple, repeatable routine and nothing is different. And same as I've talked about having a bag where all my training stuff is in, I have a, basically a couple of bins in my garage where all my race stuff is in. And as I sort of go through it before I leave the house for um, a location to race or even the night before if I'm at a local race, it's all in there. It's all on the, the lids of my race bins. I have my checklists. I have everything always stocked in there, ready to go. Um, from previous races, before I put that bin away, I make sure that everything's restocked in there. So that there's not like, oh my God, I'm out of gels. What am I going to do? Or I forgot a CO2 cartridge. Or I, I don't have that. Or I don't have this. Or my bento box. Or my water bottle. Or... So many things are easily forgotten. To error is human. And despite being oh so prepared, checklists and being pre-prepared is better, right? And so that is what we're thinking and looking at going into race week now. Today's Monday as I'm talking about it, going into the race week. And I'm starting to just look at training plans and updates and um, lead-ins for the athletes and a lot of that means starting to take notes and making sure what we want to see happening this week as well as in the race outcome then as we get closer to the race and the days leading up to it it becomes more a focus on a mantra and a variety of um, quotes and things that we can tell ourselves while we're racing or little details that we want to keep in mind and not details with regards to intricate things for the race day, but more about some quick quotes or reminders or words or action words that we tell ourselves to remember when we're out racing. And this isn't always just with regards to triathlon, especially when it comes to ultra running and ultra endurance events. 
a few key words that remind us to relax, to get back to our posture and our form, as well as how we want to approach these hills and so forth. I mean, the key on many of these ultra endurance events is also understanding what the terrain and the strategy lies ahead of us with regards to how do I want to approach this long climb? How do I want to be ready um, to come out on the other side of this climb ready to push? I mean, for a lot of ultra endurance events, whether that's triathlon, whether that's running, whether that's cycling, whether that's a combination of those, any type of multi-sport adventure race, the purpose is for, to get to from point A to point B over a variety of terrain with a variety of gear as quickly as you can. And so we want to keep in mind how we get over that terrain and where the best use of our speed and energy is. And like I said earlier, besides knowing where to push, it's also understanding where the most value in our push is for the race. And so those last few days leading up to it, it's more mantras of intention and drive and focus. I have one on the bike for a lot of my athletes that that is an acronym that shortens to fear. Um, not fear in a negative way, but just the things I want them to think about on the bike while they're riding, as well as while they're running loops and so forth. And I found that it's very helpful for me over the years of racing, of knowing specifically what my word, my action outcome is for this coming loop or for this stretch of real estate of this race. And then from there, I try to check those off. I also play a lot of games in my head when I'm racing with regards to, all right, I got through the swim, I got through the bike, everything's in check, I'm healthy, I'm not going to get a flat tire anymore, there's no mechanical that can happen from here on forward, I'm only running, running with my two feet getting to the finish line. Or when it comes to terrain in 50 milers or 100 milers or 100 Ks of knowing where I am on the course and where I wanted to get to before I could start exhaling and allowing, you know, whether it's a different approach of pacing strategy, fueling strategy, hydration, um, or just getting to the pacer, right? I love having pacers in my events because it includes others into the event and it gives you a variety of ways to bond and connect with some amazing people that you've chosen to work with you in your ultra endurance event and having somebody to talk to and work your way through these difficult miles whether that's 40 50 60 80 90 100 miles in I always recommend a pacer, and many people actually pass on pacers, but that's a different discussion. My point here is more that there's ways in the last few days prior to the race that we, we've covered all the details, we've gone over the strategy, we've gone through the execution, we've envisioned how the day will go, we know how we want it to unfold, and now we have some cues, some markers, and some keywords that we have prepared for the day. And that's what I like to do in those last few days. And that's it. That's basically the race plan. And not all of them are this detailed, and not all of them go through all these processes. But in many of them, that's what I'm expecting the athlete to know. And if not, we're going to go through that together. And I know that's a lot to process and a lot to think of. And just like in any event, um, also with the training, is 
we first need to start executing just simple race plans. And once we do those really well and we execute them almost to the best of their ability, not the athlete's ability, but the execution of the race plan ability, if we did 90% of it and we've done 90 to 95% of it a few times, well, then it's time to start getting more specific and detailed and um, more complex on that race plan. Just like in training. In training, we start with some easier stuff and boring training and just sort of getting through the value of the miles and so forth. But then as the athlete gets more experience, as the athlete might get a better feel for them and understand how they're recovering, recovering and absorbing the training, the complexity and sort of the change of processes gets more and more detailed and intricate and fun for many or overwhelming for others because there's a lot of things to think of and a lot of assignments in that prescription for that day's workout. But the same thing happens in race plans. We start really easy and we hammer it down more and more and more so that it becomes quite a complex thing to work through. But that's because of a lot of the details that used to be, we used to need to think of are now sort of ingrained in how we race anyways. And so now we want some extra challenges, some extra difficulties, some extra tasks to keep us on cue, to keep us moving and focused and driven towards that finish line. And so the race plan is an ever-evolving thing too. And I don't want to say that this is how I do it for every race and that most of my athletes are still at a pretty simple race plan because they're still getting the value of growing with that simple race plan on still getting faster or they haven't executed the race plan as is so that they understand why it needs to be that simple of a foundation again there we are again with the house and the foundation and the pyramid and so far and race plans are very similar they can't be too complex if we're not executing the first part of any type of race plan so yeah that's how it will go this weekend first the skeleton then the individual details then maybe some mantras and then we go from there and the athlete gets an opportunity to showcase their skills showcase the work that they've been doing, show themselves as well as me on how well they're willing to dig and find out how far into the darkness or the break on through the other side that they're willing to do. And that happens in a training race or in a fully rested A race. It's how deep are you willing to go? How hard are you willing to push? And many underestimate how hard it is that the front of the field, the front of the pro field, the front of the age group field pushes and how on the edge of burning lungs, snot flying out of their nose, tears, the whole thing, grunting, heavy panting, they are racing the entire race. And sure, while many of us aren't able to do that physiologically yet with regards to fitness and our growth, it's still highlights how hard racing is and how painful it needs to be. And if it means that much to us, it's something that we're very cautious with, that we really um, prepare ourselves mentally for because we are about to go into some of the most purest aspects of who we are as human beings, and that is into battle. We are about to tax our body 
scare our body, um, demand a lot from our body um, for many, many hours. And it's something that we need to prep our body for and rest it and get into a, the right mindset um, prior before we ask it to do so much. And that's part of race week two, and that's part of the planning. And so this is what next next week will shake out my discussions of going over the race recaps. <laughs> and that's a different podcast when we'll talk about race recaps. But um, that's the race plan. Yeah. Let me know if you have questions about that. I mean, I'm glad to dive into it a little bit further or if you have some emails you want to send me with regards to your race plan. Um, it should be pretty detailed at first and then due to the depth of um, the, the, the willingness to go into it and really understand it, a lot of it can then be narrowed down into a simple two, three paragraph um, highlighted, bullet pointed um page where you really know what you're talking about because you've um, really put it into your mind ready for race day. And the other thing, if you're doing your own race plan, because you've been envisioning it, because you've been spending some time seeing it unfold in your head, a lot of the race plan shouldn't be anything new or anything that you have to really think that hard about. It should come pretty naturally because again, you did that exercise of seeing yourself go through the entire race, the difficulties, the ups and downs, the things that could go wrong, your prep, your transitions, your um, prepping in the morning prior for the race, all that has already been done in your head and you know the results of it. So, all right. I occasionally get emails regarding what metrics I look for. More specifically, especially with athletes that in the past have coached themselves or have been coached in a different methodology, um, I frequently get a TSS score question and relative TSS scores and so forth. And there's similar metrics out there um, on a variety of platforms. And TSS is a training st stress score. It's a variable that Training Peaks uses in order for you and also in many cases the coach to measure the load on you personally. And athletes ask me if I look at it or they even comment on their log with regards to look at my TSS score or hey my TSS score is this and therefore I don't think that or should I be looking for this. Well, I wanted to answer how I coach in that respect, and that is not via a metric like TSS. Um, I feel that verbal communication of the athlete, of what they're experiencing, what they're feeling, how they're sleeping, how they're eating, how they're responding through the day, how they're recovering, um, is way more important and way more valuable and uh, offers me way more insight than any formula TSS score based off of information put into a training site. And that's gets us back to the root of the entire coaching and athlete relationship aspect is I trust you in giving me the information I need in order to coach you better. And listening to your body, seeing all the inputs around you that will help 
paint that picture of how you're responding and recovering and um, um, re uh, returning to the training, that is very important. And many underestimate how much information you gather during the day that you're probably not sharing. It's things like how hungry you are, how often you ate during the day, how achy your legs are, what it felt like going up and down a flight of steps, what it was like at lunchtime versus breakfast, how well you slept, how quickly you woke up, how you responded to the coffee or caffeine that you took in the morning or drank in the morning. Um, were you yawning? How were you mid-afternoon? What kind of lunch did you eat? Uh, eat? How much lunch did you eat? Are you hungrier than normal? Are you less hungry than normal? Have you gained a few pounds? Are you retaining water? Are you drinking a lot of water? There's so much in there. Are you yawny? Are you agitated? Are you short-tempered? Um, are you falling asleep before um, uh, you usually fall asleep, but then wake up again at 10 or 11 or 12 at night? How do your legs feel when they wake up at night? How often do you wake up at night? And what time do you wake up at night? Different sleep rhythms tell us which parts of your body are recovering and doing the work they need to be doing. Certain times, all that information, that's just a small inkling of data that you're collecting during the day that give me, a coach, the insight of how you're doing. Now, in the professional world, all this is monitored. Or there's a coach with you, or all this is being asked, or all this is being tabulated, or all this is being measured. All these questions are being asked on a daily basis, and you're filling them out on iPads or on questionnaires and so forth. From nutrition to hydration to all the things to how you're going to the bathroom to how, and I'm not kidding, how you're sleeping to what you're eating to how you're responding to the food, reacting to the food, inflammation, all those things. That's all part of the equation. And so to answer that, no, a TSS score is not what I'd like to rely on. I'd like to rely on you, the athlete. And I'd like to work with you so that you recognize all these inputs and insights and this own data field that you are and are able to capture them and share them with me. You don't need your morning resting heart rate to know how tired you are. Sure, it's a nice number to capture, but you know over time if you're paying attention and you're aware of everything that your body's doing and how it's reacting and how it's stretching and how it's recovering, how you're doing. Training plus recovery is the adaptation. As I keep saying in many of the podcasts is training alone will do you no good and recovering alone will do you no good. You got to put the two puzzle pieces together in order to have the performance gains that you're looking for. And that's the beauty of this all. The magic is how much training, how much recovery, how much stress, how much rest and what the gains are and what works for you and how it works for you. So TSS score, yes, not something I really look at. A lot of times I talk about all the different adventures that 
um, my athletes take on and they're random ones and some of them just come up and one I want to highlight this week is an athlete of mine she's getting ready for a 50k way up at altitude or actually not it's not quite a 50k it's actually only 29k but because it's so high up um, the time and the tax and the demands of it are um, as if she's doing a 50k at altitude but she was given the opportunity um, to take part in this um, vertical mile i should call it almost and that is running um, up 128 flights of stairs to the top of a huge tower in um, the middle of Shanghai. And the fun thing here is she emailed me about 10 days prior. Hey, I was invited to do this unique thing and it's the day before a 75K bike ride that I was gonna do just for charity reasons and with some friends. But what I really like to do is I'd love to try this and do this type of thing. And so that's exactly what I talk about with regards to fitness, with regards to finding something unique. And it was it just fell into her lap. It's not like she went searching for it, but she was able to say yes and take part and do something that is just completely unique with her fitness. And that's the fitness I want you all to have as my athletes. I want you all to be able to take on any adventure that comes up like that within reason i mean if of course if it were something completely outside of what she's been training for that's a different story but we've been doing hill repeats and step ups and so forth in order to get her ready for this 29k at some ridiculous altitude and so therefore i mean we're talking 14 15,000 feet by the way that's um that's some serious altitude where the race takes place. Now it goes up higher um, along the route. But so in order to get her prepped in a large major city like Shanghai for that, it's been a variety of different exercises and strength routines so that she can at least stay steady for those 29K, which will take a lot of hours up at that altitude, as well as that she's newer to trail racing. But yeah, running 128 stories up um, the tallest building or one of the tallest buildings in Shanghai, that's a pretty cool adventure to take your fitness to. Um, Also, last week I had two athletes run two oceans, which is a really cool race, a huge race in South Africa, and that connects the Indian Ocean with the Atlantic Ocean and you you run 56 kilometers from one end to the other and there's some work in there there's definitely some hills and a, and a climb far into it but that was again a successful event and not necessarily with regards to results but that everybody came away going that was so fun I felt so awesome it was such a unique experience and now I'm back onto my regularly scheduled training program one being getting ready for comrades the other being um, getting ready for some ultra trail runs in South Africa as well as in the southern African continent in general um So again, using your fitness in order to take on the most um, creative adventures that sort of crop up. That's what I love about coaching. That's what I love about athletes being fit in order to take on something like that. 
I also wanted to remind you all that you do, even as listeners, not even as my coached athletes, do get Roka um, gear um, for a significant discount, 20, uh, no, not 20, 30% off, and in some cases, 40 to even 45% off. And that includes like sunglasses and wetsuits are pretty expensive these days. So being able to get a discount with it is um, pretty significant. If you're thinking of a $600, $700 wetsuit, when you're talking 30%, 40%, that's a couple hundred bucks. So if this is something you're interested in, you would need to create an account at roca.com and then it should say inside your account uh, click to activate roca team account and then once you do that just send me an email chris at aimcoaching.com and um, i'll send you the uh the passcode and the um, some other word you need to um, get your account activated but that way yeah and then it's automatically in your checkout that you get 30 35 40 even 45 percent off at times depending on what kind of sale they have and no this isn't with regards to sponsoring the podcast this is more just like um me asking them when they offer it to my team and my athletes roca that is i asked a couple weeks ago hey can i mention this discount and this this um the savings along on the podcast so that even anybody just listening to the weekly word podcast can take advantage of it and they said absolutely so yeah if that's something and they make swim stuff goggles paddles fins kickboard wetsuits of course jammers um bunch of running gear too i don't think they're making cycling gear anymore i'm not sure on that but um now they're big in the sunglasses and it's sort of nice getting sunglasses for 25 30 35 percent off so it's something i would consider and um, it's easy to just set up an account activate roca team account once you create an account at roca.com and then send me an email at chris at aimcoaching.com and i will send you the team handle and passcode all right well let's close out this week and thank you as usual i know this was a little bit of a choppy episode and you know it's i think fair to have it reflect sort of where the last two weeks were for me and not that it's um too tragic of um where i've been um in this case it was a timely um funeral and a timely a circumstance but in general um, when we all are overloaded when we all have a lot of things happening around us and we want to do the best that we can um, things might not be as smooth and as thoughtful and as prepared and as diligent and as creative as they usually are um, and it's what I often say about training and training and Life often goes so close in hand. You just sometimes got to get through it and get the work done. And the quality might not be its best, like I often talk about here, as if um, there's always going to be high quality, high thought process, high a desired outcome and so forth. No, um, it just sometimes just has to, you got to grind it out. And not by forcing it. That's not what I'm really meaning. It's more about that you know you just got to get through this phase of time 
And just like anxiety, right? Anxiety is something that we internally have a fear for for the future. Something is coming our way, and that's what creates anxiety, whether anxiety as an emotion or anxiety as an as an anxiety at attack, right? We're preoccupied with something in the future. And we realize when we're in life or in training with this stuff, especially with something as time-consuming as ultra-endurance, all right, I just got to work my way through this phase. I just got to deal with things now. Um, things will lighten up again, and things will smoothen out again. And in the same way, I hope some of these podcasts will go back to a smoother flow. And um, yeah, I, I could tell even how I was recording and how I was talking through things. Um, it wasn't as um, free-flowing, and my ideas weren't coming as easily um, as usual. So I hope you can understand. Um, please bear with me, and um, I appreciate it. I appreciate that you're continuing to listen, continuing to care about what I have to say. And um, yeah, I uh, what do I have coming this next week? I just wanted to always close out with giving you an idea maybe of, um, not always, I, I hope to close out with giving you an idea of what lies ahead in the world of the athletes and me, as well as um, the world of ultra endurance. This next week, I have my training camp up here in Sonoma. We're um, 18 athletes. Unfortunately, we were full, but um, that sounds so wrong. Unfortunately, we were full. We were full, full but um, one of my athletes had a bike crash, and so she can't participate. Another one of my athletes has um, some serious work issues um, that he needs to deal with, so he can't make it. So we're down to 18, and then, uh, you know, I'm hoping one more athlete that also has had a bike crash, man, it's the bike crashes, um, I hope she is healthy enough and strong enough and confident enough to feel good about joining us for the week. So yeah, that's going to be a lot of our time. But you know what I'm really looking forward to is taking the tidbits, taking the questions, taking the observations that I see that everybody had when we're one-on-one -on -one and we're live this week um, in training because I'm going to participate this year in all the training and go through all the motions with everybody and have those roundtables at night where we're just going to talk and discuss and have a good time. I'd love to capture those a little bit and also share them with you in the following weeks. Another thing I want to do in this week is capture a bunch of the race reports and insights and updates from 70.3 Oceanside and Galveston and Florida that athletes did. And I also want to capture some of the marathons and so on. A lot, lots going on right now. And it's the post-race debriefs that I actually enjoy a lot because people are willing to open up and really look at themselves and identify some of the things that they can improve upon. The pre-race, as we talked about today, the, the race prep, 
and the race plans, those are plans. And so it's hard, especially when it's been a year or been a couple of months since we've raced, to really immerse ourselves into all the things that are happening. But I like my athletes to capture that information right after a race in the next 24 to 48 hours. Then I give them a little bit of time to sort of exhale, let the emotions simmer down from the day, and then reread and go through that race report um, in order to see if, if it was emotional what they were describing or if they were truly things that they could have done better or that they observed um, objectively, right? So that's the coming week. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I look forward to talking to you all again next week. Thank you again. Bye.